Hello, welcome to the big kickoff on the 1st of November. I think I'm after blowing Neil's ears off. Is Just that a bit, bit loud for you there, Neil? Them, yeah. Neil, you're not David Bugle. Uh -huh. David Bugle's off in Orlando enjoying himself. And for some. Probably due, he's been working really hard this year, so he told me. It's a mighty big seat to fill, Roy, but I hope <laughs> it's a challenge. Don't get personal now. Okay. Don't get personal. <laughs> um, who's on the show today? Uh, today we have Antonio Mantero from the Coach Diary interview live. Yeah, and we're going to be talking about development of, I suppose, youths in Irish football from the small side of the game up to the under 13, 15, uh, 17 and 19 leagues in the League of Ireland. Uh, the under 13s has to start yet, but it's uh, it's definitely an interesting concept, which some people believe is probably a bit too early, and some people think it's the right thing to do. So we, we we'll talk to Antero, uh, Antonio, and we'll see what he has to say. Uh, we'll probably talk a little bit about Real Madrid. Uh, there seems to be a bit of trouble there at the moment, which hasn't been seen in quite a while, and there's a whole lot of other football as well. So uh, we won't have lack of stuff to talk about who are we going to play we're going to play Matt and Kim Hey Now And welcome back to the big kickoff on Liffey Sound 96.4 FM. Joining us on the line is Antonio Mantero from the popular The Coach Diary Let the Kids Play website. Antonio, welcome back to the big kickoff. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. Listen, I've been reading a lot lately in articles and social media of people praising the League of Ireland's new underage structure and how successful it's been. Is it the answer to our development problems at youth levels? What's your opinion? Um, look, I think I think the structure in itself is is I, I think we should be having a structure that starts with, with with the League of Ireland clubs and you know gives people a pathway into, into senior football. Um, you know, I definitely think that's that's a positive there. It's, it's also positive the players can stay and, and get educated here. I think if players are exceptional and they're good enough and, and they're being scouted by some of the top five or six teams in the actually in fact any team that's in the Premier League that you know maybe at 16 or 17, not many are going to turn that down. Um, for a lot of other lads who might be scouted at Division One, Division Two teams, you know I don't think it's probably a sensible idea to go and move across to the UK and you know you've been taken out of your comfort zone. You, you, you no longer have your friends. You're away from family. It can be a little bit more difficult. They probably don't have the same kind of structures and the same support in place in, in some of the lower division clubs in England. So a wise move is, is probably to stay here and, and do your leaving and try and get educated and try and play at the same time. Um, for, 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 for young lads to be around some you know, semi-professional footballers where you obviously they're, they're going to take on some of their habits they'll, they'll understand the risks and the rewards of the game and game gives. Uh, obviously, the standards are going to be better. Uh, the expectations are probably going to be higher. We've seen with a lot of lads now being exposed to European football, which probably you know a lot a lot of players, Irish players, aren't getting at the moment, even even in the Premier League. And 
again, I suppose, obviously, you know, the friends, staying here with friends and family, having that support is a big factor as well. Um, but obviously, there's, 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 some, there's some negatives as well um, in terms of, of how the, the structure is. Um, you know, I can only, um, I, I finished, last year I finished up with my, my team, a lot of the lads went to try and League of Ireland, there's probably between eight or nine now for my team that have gone to League of Ireland, and, you know, this stage of the year, they're in limbo, you know, they're wondering, am I going to get picked again, they're between the ages, they've just moved from under 17 to under 19, so, you know, you do have that, that gap year where they're wondering are they even going to be in the squad, you know, if they if they do sign on, are they going to play? You know, so there are all these all these decisions and all these things going around these young lads' heads, and uh, yeah. you know, so the pathway in itself is a little bit obscure and a little bit. It's you know, the pathway is kind of it's a bit of a zigzag pathway because you you, you can move from a grassroots club, and you know, let's say at the age of fifteen, you could go to Rovers or Shells or wherever it is. They're unsure whether they're going to keep you on or not. All of a sudden, you end up at Bowes and then you might come back to shells, and you know, so it's it's still a little bit, um, you know, I, I don't really like the structure. I find that a lot of players are are, are either leaving the game or, or they're just going back into grassroots because they just don't really know where they stand at a lot of these clubs. Yeah, and they're trying to trying to find their feet. Um, the under thirteen league will be starting soon. Is this a good or bad idea? I think this is a really bad idea. Um, I think I, I don't think there's a need for it. Um, I think that young players should be allowed to, 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 to kind of play relatively locally. I, I mean, most most lads probably do. Um, I know they're probably going to try and regionalise it. I mean, but at the same time, you're still there's still going to be a lot of travel involved um, for these young lads. And then you're talking 11 and 12 year olds, and you know you're talking 11 and 12 year olds, maybe getting in at 13, dropped at 14. You know, who knows what could happen? They, they might, they might end up walking away from the game. Um, so I, I think it's a little bit, it's a little bit too young. In fact, I think, I think 15 is, is probably even, even too young. I think 17 and 19 is probably the perfect age. I think if you're good enough at 17, you're going to be in there. And um, if you're good enough at, at 13, you might necessarily be in there at 15. Um, you know, and a lot, you know, certainly with 13. It's just, it's so young. I mean, these, these lads are just so young, and, and traveling, all the traveling that's involved, and the commitment that's involved as well, the time that they'd have to give up, they'd have to focus purely on football. When there's a lot of lads who who would be playing probably you know competitive GA at, at a very high level at performance level. The same with hurling, it might be basketball as well. And, and you're finding now with a lot of lads who are playing a league of Ireland, they're having to commit just just the one sport and I think at 13 is, is, is really killing it for some lads but it's just too young to try and get young lads to commit just the one thing and yeah. one sport how, how did they do it then in say Holland and Germany and, and places like that they, they, they would train now three or four times a week anyhow after their school wouldn't they yeah they would you know but again I think it's a different structure I mean and also it's a different you know, we're predominantly a recreational football nation. We also have a semi-professional national league where there's only, you know, a handful of teams that, that are professional. A lot of players are only on 10 to 11 month contracts. You know, they don't know if they're getting the next one from from, the, from one year to the next. I think with Germany and a lot of these places, you're in a professional setup. And, you know, you're in four or five nights a week. You come in early, probably on two or three days, where you get to do your schooling. 
you know, so there's a, there's a lot better structures in place. Also, there's probably something at the end of it, you know. I mean, if a player gets into a, to one of these academies, probably at 14, 15, and makes it all the way to 18, 19, he's probably highly, it's probably highly likely that he will probably get a career out of football. Mm. He might even get a career playing with, with Bayern Munich or Borussia Dortmund or, you know, any of the top teams, but he, he might play in the, in the second division or he might play in some of the, the, the lower league teams and earn it, you know, a decent enough wage. And we don't have that structure here. You know, our structure is, is, is all it's been run by volunteers. It's, 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 it's predominantly volunteer focused until players get up until the, to the senior squad. And, and even then, it's, there's still a lot of volunteers working within the game, even at that level. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's, you know, we're, we're kind of, we're kind of very, we're a very peculiar type nation in, in terms of how, how, how we are because, you know, we have GA is, is, is massive here. We have a lot of kids that play, would play a lot of sports. And I think really we should be looking at that. We should be looking at the multi-sports that we have and try and encourage kids to play multi-sports, you know, until about 15 or 16 when they really need to decide and maybe, you know, due to, to, due to overuse or overplay or injury that maybe they need to focus just on one sport. Um, so I, I think we're a little bit different. You know, we can't really compare to Germany in these places because the structure and the setups are, you know, far higher and far superior than ours and, and the professional structures and setups. Yeah, yeah. I, I read an article yesterday morning in The Guardian by Alex Clapham on Spanish club Atletico Bilbao, which I seen you, yeah. you shared there yesterday evening. Uh, who are entirely reliant on the academy to, to produce their players. I think 85%, I think, is, uh, of the players in their first team, uh, and it's a consistent uh, rollout of players uh, are in their squad, yet they have never been relegated. Real Madrid and Barcelona are the only other two clubs in La Liga who haven't been relegated from the top. What does that tell us, and what can you learn from that? I think it shows that you know, you don't need to go far, you know, far and wide to try and get players. You don't need to be, you know, poaching players from left, right, and centre to, to create, you know, create a dynasty or create a, a big club. Um, that if you have the right, correct structures in place, if you develop a culture um, from a very young age and a passion for for that culture and a passion for that for that club, that things can be achieved. Um, and, and you know, it just shows in in, in what what Bilbao have achieved. Um, in terms of players, even even making it through from 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 their academy into into their into their first team, um, I think they they twenty one kids between the ages of eighteen and nineteen, and uh, was it thirteen and thirteen thirteen of the twenty one are currently you know doing degrees as well at the same time. So mm. not only are these lads playing professional playing professional, well I mean they're, they're probably youth professional, but I mean they get paid. They're, they're trying to make a career out of it, but at the same time also getting educated so the culture is really really strong and it's a really really strong um, foundation that they have there and I think that's the crucial thing the most important thing is building that foundation from the from the, from the worm's eye view from the grassroots and all the way up and having people that have, that have a belief in their club um, which we don't really have we don't have that here in Ireland we have it probably in GA but we don't really have it in soccer where you know a lot of people tend to move around from different clubs to clubs and they're really just chasing that dream yeah. Um yeah, and it's, it's funny. It's, it's an amazing thing that really that, that they've achieved, and the fact that they've always been in the in the top position and never been relegated, and the fact that they only use Basque players. I think they they recruit within a seventy or sixty five five kilometre radius of the club. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's 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 truly amazing, and it shows that like we we were told in Ireland, we just don't have the players, but. 
I, I just think that's a, it's a, it's an easy excuse to or a lazy excuse. The kids are there. We, we're playing football probably more than any other. Well, it's that biggest sport in in, in Ireland, participants mm-hmm. wise. So we have the players. It's just about how we structure it. Uh, one of the things that I stood out for me was that in Bilbao they try and create a, a you know a good person as well so kids have their roles and responsibilities when they enter the building for training so they might you know obviously clean boots or clean do chores or whatever like that is that something that we've are, are we pampering our kids too much bringing them to football and bring them back and they have to have everything and are we are we forgetting to give them sort of duties and roles and within clubs yeah, yeah, I think in a way, I, I think parents should have an involvement there. I, I know when I coach, I, you know, I'd always say to parents, like, prepare your own gear, you know, and if they, you know, if they rocked up without chin pads or anything, I, you know, that was on them. It, obviously, with some of the younger kids, you know, at, you know, under sevens, under eight, yeah. you know, what a lot of these kids, I'm, I'm talking when they get into the teenage years, you know, at 12, 13, 14, they, they really should really start taking responsibility for themselves and responsibility for their game. And if they're serious about it, then basically preparing themselves from the night before, you know, making sure they're not having any sleepovers, you know, on a Friday, because they've got a match on a Saturday, you know, they're, they're eating the right foods, they're being well hydrated, they have something to eat straight after the game, um, in terms of their rest and that kind of stuff. And, I mean, you know, we're, we're talking about the 1% here, um, the ones who, who are really playing at, at that high performance level, you know, be it in the, in, in the DDSL or, or whatever it is around Ireland. But they're playing it in the in the top division, say at you know thirteen, fourteen. They really should be starting to build those habits from a, from a young age, and I think certainly parents can help. Um, but ultimately, you know, these kids are being coached, and they're in seeing that you know a lot of it's going to come from the coach. A lot of the standards and in terms of the respect and uh, in terms of the, the really really good habits are going to come from the coaches themselves. Um, and I think. I suppose there's probably not a lot of it. It's it's like you say, there's, there's probably a lot of this happens maybe just with the 1%. So, you know, you're probably going to have a lot of kids who are being coached by their dad or being coached by, you know, uh, and parents who have just been landed with, with, the, with the role, so to speak, um, and wouldn't necessarily have um, the experience or necessarily have the understanding of, of, of probably developing and helping players. Um, and that that in itself sometimes can be detrimental to some of the late bloomers who, who come into who come into come in at a late stage and try and get into that performance level. And they just mightn't have that standard, and you know they, they might have had a lot of things done for them um, in the younger ages, and then all of a sudden becomes a shock to them when they need to go and, and do a lot of things for themselves. Yeah, yeah. Um, are we are we guilty? As you've just said, there are we guilty of putting way too much focus on the one percent? And kind of not neglecting, but taking our eye off the the rest of the footballing world when health is so important. Yeah, I think certainly probably one of the negatives of, of this league of Ireland underage structure is that it's solely focused on, on the one percent. Um, I don't think calendar year football is suitable to grassroots football. I think grassroots football should be running uh, with it, with the school year. It should be starting in September and, and ending at the end of June when, when the kids finish, because a lot of kids are off on their holidays. Antonio, would you would you have thought that before the calendar year football came in, or you know, or is that just something that struck you from it yeah. since we participated in it? I was the only person in my club who was against the uh, calendar year football. Um, I, I wanted to continue with it. I have no problem organising games. I, I used to I used to organise between fifty and fifty four games from August all the way to June. I had no issue with pitches or 
uh, issue with you know games being called off. Um, so I, I didn't want it to change because I never had a problem with it. You know, I think a lot of people make excuses out of weather and pitches. And, and pitches, you know, pitches are can be an issue. But I think that if you really want a game or you want, really want to organise a Friday, you'll organise it. Whether it's two o'clock on a Saturday or three o'clock on a Saturday, or you change to a Sunday if you're playing Saturday, you will do it. You know, mm. a lot of the guys who are serious about it and enjoy, you know, getting out and, and not missing the weekends football, they will organise games. Um, I think the grassroots needs 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 to go with the school here um, for many reasons. But one in particular is that a lot of kids, when they start back in the school here, they'll either decide that they're going to quit football or they'll decide that they want to join back football. Um, and for, for a lot of kids this year who wanted to join back football, they couldn't in September because a lot of teams were full and, and you know coaches were saying, look, there's no point in you joining back for a month or two months because we're finished now in a month or two. And you're finding that a lot of kids who probably left the game, come back, there's no way, there's no pathway for them to come back into the game. You know, and, and maybe January is too late, or maybe January might be another opportunity for them to come in. Also, you're having pre-season in the middle of winter, in January, in February. It's just been an absolute disaster in terms of... that. Those two months are probably the, the two months where the pitches were at their absolute worst. Mm. So, you know, a lot of games aren't starting on time. So when the league starts in, in kind of March, or was, I think last year, kind of the start of March, a lot of teams didn't kick off. And if you look at a lot of the leagues in the grassroots at, at, at lots of different ages, some, some clubs have only played five or six games in the calendar year. I mean, our own youth team uh, have only played, I think, between 20... They've played, sorry, they played 15 games between the start of the year and now, and, and that includes friendlies. Um, so 15 games in, in a season. I was playing nearly 54 games from August to June. So we were playing a lot of games. Um, and uh, I think if players want to move to League of Ireland, they'll move anyway. If they're good enough, they're going to move. Um, teams, I suppose grassroots clubs don't like it because at the moment because their teams are getting totally ripped apart. Um, that's probably going to happen anyway. But at least if it happens, it happens at the end of their season. So, you know, players might transfer mid-season to League of Ireland uh, after the season has ended. Um, or they might, you know, they might leave again, they might leave mid-season. Um, between uh, sorry January and uh, and February, if if it's allowed, but I don't think grassroots and League of Ireland should should run together. I think the only reason it's running together is to benefit the one percent, but really it's actually it's actually killing the ninety nine percent. And I spoke to a lot of coaches who are involved in grassroots, and you know a lot a lot of people are involved in some of the big clubs, like Kevin's and Joey's, and, and a lot of them would agree. And even though they've got participation in the League of Ireland, they would agree that the grassroots. Has been really affected by this, and really should be. For me, it should be a, a, a totally separate identity. It should be what it is for the ninety-nine percent, not for the one percent. Yeah, I, th- I think. I think something that I have found is that the, there is no structure for a child's life through the summer. Obviously, being off on their holidays. And once September comes along, that structure is, comes back in. They get their school, they're up in the morning, they come back out, they come home, you know, they do their homework. And that's when they normally go playing football. Uh, during the summer, there is no structure at all. And uh, they could be off down with their friends, gone off to the beach. And, you know, there's a lot more people missing training and, you know, yeah. just not available. So the structure goes hand in hand. So maybe the football is, is better off uh, during the, the winter months, if we want to call it that. Yeah, well, I, I, like a lot of teams are finished now. I mean, a lot of teams finished three weeks ago. So, yeah. you know, they come back at the school, you know, teams mightn't start, you know, because because of the way the league is going, they mightn't have a game in the first week or two of September because 
teams either aren't back or, you know, teams have folded or for whatever reason. You know, so then you've got two weeks, you're back training, you don't get any games at the start of the school year when you're generally expecting games. Then all of a sudden you've three or four games left and, and that's it and the season's over and then you're waiting now between now and probably until March or February before a ball is kicked and uh you know, again, I'm talking about the 99%. So the 99% are idle now and probably they probably won't kick the ball and, and there's nothing really for them to do. I mean, there's no indoor football being organised. Well, some but it's partly organised mainly for some of the younger ages. But a lot of the kids, I, the ones who are in the crucial years, the under, you know, the under 13 to the under 17, yeah. just, there's nothing for them. And a lot of those lads will just, they'll just give up because, you know, they want... You know, the way the generation is now, they need things instantly. They need it now. If they don't get it now, they'll just move on to something else. And the, and the, weather, the weather doesn't encourage them to go out and do their own thing, where in the summer, uh, obviously, they're out and about and they can play their own matches and you know create their own sort of football fun. Just on the small side of games, when I look at the small side of, small side of games, especially the red A level, there's still a huge expectation on winning. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's still there, you know, and, you know, another thing is this this race to the bottom now where we have academy teams now, again, who we all know are graded, uh, so you're talking about grading six-year-olds um, under sixes, which you, you could potentially have some five-year-olds, you know, playing playing with those under sixes, you know, I work with five-year-old kids, they're babies, I mean, they're absolute babies, a lot of them, and, uh, you know, to have them travelling going from club to club, organise games and then having that pressure that's coming from the sideline to win games. Yeah. You know, they're looking at, they don't compare, they don't compare, this stuff is totally out into them, you know. Mm. You know, what, what a lot of people call the daisy pickers, they're still down there, you know, looking at the sky and wandering around and, and you know, they just want to, they just either want to play or they want to be in the playground. I think the vast majority of kids at that age don't really want to be playing, you know, football. They want to be playing team football. It's, it's just, it's, it's too young for them. Um, and as you said, with the, with the Reds, I mean, I speak to a lot of coaches from from a lot of a lot of different uh, a lot of different clubs, and you know they're all in this race to try and get into this Red division, you know. And I'm just, you know, for what? Like, and everybody's trying to get to this top division because you know that's that's where everybody wants to be because it's the most competitive, and you know they can put, they can put themselves up against some of the best teams. Uh, and everybody's taking scores. Everybody's bringing around, finding out who be who, and, and, and they're having they're creating their own little league tables. And uh, you know, again, it, that just creates that win at all cost culture, and it, it, it changes the whole focus of what football at those ages, those formative years, should be about, which is about developing the, developing the child, and you know, developing the player, and, and trying to create you know technically skilled and smart footballers. Um, but at the moment, all we're creating is robotic footballers, footballers who are basically just being told what to do and how to do and when to do from from a young age. And on that note, <clears throat> sorry, Antonio, on that note, what would be your ideal situation for a six to ten year old if it was left in your hands? I think six and ten year olds should be just playing. They should be just playing with their clubs, and they should just be playing internal games amongst themselves. I don't think there's any need for any of those players to go and travel. Um, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't really start any sort of travelling probably until, until about under ten, and uh, even at under eleven was when you start to grade them at tens and eleven. But allow kids the opportunity to be able to play with their friends, you know, at under sixes, under sevens, under eights, under nines. Give them the opportunity to be with their friends of all abilities, and 
you know, when I grew up, and you know, you read a lot of you know the best footballers in the world. They all talk about their friends that they played around. You know, the the, 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 the friends who believe in them, but those friends actually helped them. They actually enhanced them because they almost became their little guinea pigs because they were able to dribble around them and go past them, and then you know, some were bigger, some were smaller. They were able to to, to ride the tackle, and um, because a lot of these lads, you know, couldn't really play that well, but they were certainly good at tackling or hard and harder hard you know, they were going a little bit harder on the more technical players. And uh, I think you'll probably you will get a lot of that when you when you mix the kids up. As for when you put all the kids of the same ability into one pool, they just be, all become they all become very similar and they all become start to do very similar things and it actually prevents in my opinion, it actually prevents the more skilled player from actually enhancing and developing the skills because from a very young age He's coming up against the best, so he's finding it really hard to try and get past that player. As for if he's playing with players of mixed ability, he's going to have a lot more opportunities to dribble. He's going to have a lot more, more opportunities to maybe think about his decisions, uh, and which is which in turn is going to probably develop and enhance, enhance him as a footballer. Um, so I, I think we need to keep kids much more kind of in a pool whether where there's mixed abilities as opposed to this grading. You know, I mean we're. We're grading now from these academy teams. Well, we're going to be grading from under fours and under threes next, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What would you... So that's one of the things probably you change from fo- for football in Ireland. Is there anything else that you would you would change in an instant? Do you know what? If, 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 if I fell into to, to, to billions and billions and billions of euros tomorrow, I'd go into every single housing estate in the country and I'd build a little mini cage 3v3 or 5v5 football pitch. Yeah so that kids could just literally walk out of their houses. I mean, if you go around every house in the state in Ireland, I mean, go around Dublin 15, for instance, where I am, um, or even, even Dublin 24, there's greens everywhere. There's green spaces everywhere. Nobody's used them. Kids don't use them. The ones that are using them, they put up these little plastic goals that we see everywhere. So parents will buy these plastic goals. One house gets a bigger one, one house gets a smaller one. We could use these little areas and create little football domes, even... even you know, put in basketball rings, so to be so that when kids have an opportunity to go out and play, they'll all they'll all be concentrated towards this one area, this little pitch. And there might be one here, there might be one in you know two two streets down the road. There might be another one. There might be another four streets down the road. But what will it do is it will attract more kids to it, it attract more players. It gets kids playing more, which in turn is going to improve them. You know, the more they play, the better they become. Uh, and the better they come, you know, the better the players that that, that will come to play. So everybody, everybody learns and everybody develops, and, and in turn we get a better pool of players throughout the whole of Ireland. Yeah, I I I, I agree with that. Um, I, I think the way houses are being built now, the green areas, the green spaces are non-existent now. Mm. You you nearly have to walk could be quarter of a mile, half a mile, or whatever it is to the, the nearest green park yeah. they have put in these places. So. Kids, although we talk talk about street football, a lot of street football was in the greens beside your house or what, what, what have you. Um, but do you think uh, do you think that obviously the three v trees are important? But do you think that that parents are slightly to blame for their kids not being out playing more because they're more fearful of whatever it is that's out there? So they're not giving them the opportunity to go out and play, and it's easier for them to to sit inside and in their eyesight line and play their computer game or whatever it is. Yeah, I think there is that fear. You know, there is that fear from parents because you know everything that we see online. You know, all the crime that we read about, all the 
you know, all the all the all the, the things that are happening to children, you know, across the world. Um, so a lot of parents are kind of, you know, reading into that, and everybody's becoming a little bit, you know, you know, a little bit, I suppose, um, um, aware of, of these things. Um, and also, you know, for kids, they've got a lot more opportunities. You know, these they've got a lot more things to watch on TV through their laptops. They can sit around and, and, and just watch a, an iPad or a phone all day long without actually doing anything. Um, but again, also, you know, there's a lot of cars on the road as well. So even to try and get across the great spaces, sometimes kids have to cross the road, um, and there's literally cars passing every ten to fifteen seconds. Um, so that in itself can be can be can be um, an issue. I suppose this time of year as well, it's getting dark very, very early uh, and it's getting very, very dark. It gets quite, quite dark at this time of year. So mm. It's very hard to see, kind of, to see people. Um, I think, you know, if you have a green space, yeah, absolutely, parents should be encouraged to, 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 to get their kids out. Um, but we know that's not going to happen, you know, unless they're going to go themselves or unless a parent is supervising. I think when you have some of these kind of, you know, you know, for instance, in Blanchestown, they've got that Millennium Park where they've got a playground and they've yeah. got a couple of little football courts and then they've got a basketball court. Um, that's just a little bit too far away. It's too far away for pe- for kids to get this. So yeah. kids will play there. If their parents drive them there, they'll probably play for an hour or two and then they'll go back. Some of the older kids might cycle there. But at the same time, it's just it's just a little bit too far away from, from, from houses. I think that in order for us to really... Developing, and I posted about this just on Facebook. There, I, I think our football culture in Ireland is dying. I, I, I think that you know, GAA is, 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 is slowly becoming what what our culture is about. Football is, you know, we probably had a football culture back in the early nineties, early nineties when, when things were being successful at senior level, um, and we know that success will, will bring more people into the sport. But now, as, as things are getting you know, a good hurry and, and football isn't that so good. A lot of kids are tending to fall away from it. And I think as, as a nation, our football culture is dying, you know. We, we don't really seem to have a football culture anymore. Um, and I think to grow a football culture, we need kids playing football from a very young age and not in organised football, not in clubs where they're coming to play on a Saturday or they might come and train twice a week. I'm talking about kids who will come and play with their mates for free, you know, playing with freedom, where there's, where there's no control coaching, where there's no kind of parent as such kind of looking looking at them and telling them what to do or where to pass or what to do, where kids can go to a space where they can just be free and they can make decisions by themselves. And if they make a wrong decision, they can just move on to the next decision because they don't have someone on the sideline or someone telling them that was the wrong decision, you should have done this or that. Um, and I think a lot of, if you look at the best footballing nations in Europe, you know, France and Spain and Portugal, you know, they all have this culture. They all have this culture of, of, of just playing football where kids just play. They just go to a space, you know, a cage space where they have, you know, football-style goals and they just play all day, every day. Obviously, weather is a big thing. Um, you know, we can't play this time of year. But for them as well, this time of year, they probably don't play as much out here as well because it does, it does get cold in those countries as well. Do you think, we make, do you think we make excuses, though, Antonio? Because... When I was growing up, I don't think it's a million years ago, but when I was growing up, it was just play football, play football, play football, go in and get your dinner, come back mm-hmm. out, it'd be dark, you'd have a, a street light underneath you and you'd still play football. Is, is it excuse, as I was kind of going down to the parents' angle, are, are parents facilitating that kind of get them off the streets sort or of attitude? Yeah, I think, 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 I
you know, where we should be encouraging them to go out and play, get your friends, organise things. We used to organise street leagues between ourselves. They don't do yeah. that anymore. No, they don't. I, I think a lot of it's to do with space. I mean, if you look at some of the streets that you probably used to play on and some of the, the streets that I used to play on, I don't think I could play in those streets now because there's just too many cars on them, there's too yeah. many cars passing on them. Um, or, or, you know, or the street lights are, are, are too dark now because the trees are so big that they're covering them so there actually is no street lights. Mm. Um, also now that we've, we, we've come so far away from, from playing on the street that when kids do play on the street and you hear a bit of noise outside, the parents are coming out going, you're too loud, you need to come inside, you, you, yeah. you know, you're disturbing the neighbours, you're, 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 you know, or, you know, one of the neighbours comes down and here, like, move away, you're too close to my car, you're not to hit my car with a ball or whatever it is, you know, so there's always someone either telling them to move on or telling them to stop and, and, and not encouraging them to, to, to go out for, for various reasons. And so I think the only way to get around this is by starting, as we build housing estates, is to go in and just build caged areas, caged football areas or basketball areas that kids can literally go and play in all day, every day. And from that, that's where the leagues start to be organised. Then, then you start to organise leagues and you start to organise getting tournaments amongst themselves and it's yeah. generally organised by the kids or yeah. you know some of the older kids because you know when you were younger when I was younger we played against mixed ages you know when you got to a certain age you were able to play with some of the bigger lads yeah. before that you probably you were allowed to play for a little bit and then you had to move off and then the big lads came on with some of you know the mixed ages between you know 13 and 17 year olds and you kind of just mixed it about and never you know then you played your games there, there uh, from that um, so you know, this is this is an absolute pipe dream. But I think that that that's the only way, really, that we're going to really re, 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 revive our, our football country, uh, culture in this country. Yeah, because no, and I, and it, I, it is dying. I to, I totally agree. I think the, the obviously the, I don't think that the, people give out about the structured element of football now. I don't I don't I don't take that. I think the structured element of football is good. I just think that the non-structured isn't uh, there isn't enough of the non-structured right. stuff yeah. to go along with the structured. That'd be in my opinion. Is just on the structured element, is there anything in the coaching sessions that you hate to see? Like, think, you you know, see other coaches and 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 they're doing things yeah. and you have to sort of bite your tongue. You know, I I hate I hate you know, halfway through a season, and they're starting to do S and you know S and Q, where they're like literally on ladders and, and they're going over hurdles and, and stuff. And I'm looking at them going, "You've got an hour. You've got an hour to, to, to coach your players." And, and for the last 35 minutes, you have them running through ladders and over hurdles and all that kind of stuff. I'm not saying they don't need that stuff. Absolutely, they need that stuff. But not 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 during your era of football. Yeah. Do it another time. Organize an extra session. Encourage them maybe to go to go maybe do a fitness class in the gym or something or, or something like that. You know, so. Absolutely, you know, when I see that, it absolutely kills me. I just, I just, you know, it, it's it's one of the, it's one of the, um, yeah, it'd be one of those things where, where I totally dislike. I think that if you've only got an hour a week, or if you only got two hours a week, then then your training should be 100% ball focused. Everything yeah. you need to do, be it your warm up, um, should be with the ball, and then you should be going into into into, into possession games that that resemble the game itself. So you're breaking the game down into in, in, smaller spaces um, and everything should be challenging and everything should, should, should have a, either you know it should be a direction or a non-direction but it should have it should have something that players can can understand um, and play towards so they understand that this is part of the game and they understand why they're doing it um, a purpose I think, uh, yeah I, I think in general like, the coaching I think in, in general in Ireland has improved I mean we've probably more UEFA B and UEFA and pro coaches than we've ever had I think 
just some really, really good coaches at the younger ages. Um, are they getting the opportunities maybe to, to, to push on? Probably not. Um, and I think a lot of it's to do with probably finances that, you know, they just really can't commit to, to doing it um, because when they've, they've got families and they've got bills to pay, we've all got bills to pay. So mm. It's very hard to kind of coach in Ireland because for more than likely you're probably not going to get paid or if you do get paid, you're going to get paid very little. So it just becomes very difficult to, to, to try and get a career out of football in this country for, yeah, for, for yeah. coaches. And then certainly at grassroots, I mean, it's, it, it is improving. Like you said, that you know the structure stuff is improving, but there's so little unstructured play for kids now that it's absolutely killing the game because everybody, it seems, is trying to coach almost the same way. So we're, so we're kind of producing and developing the same, same player. type of players. Yeah. Um, and we're not producing the players that, that, that we need. I, you know, wingers or fast players or players are going to think really, really quickly. Players are going to dribble and, and, and players that, could, that have a good relationship with the ball. I think children from a young age should be encouraged to develop a really, really good relationship with the ball. And that's literally having the ball with your day, noon and night and just, you know, doing keepy uppies. I know people kind of laugh and say, oh, well, keepy uppies are, you know, you know, that's, it kind of creates clowns, but it, but it doesn't. You know, if if you're doing keepy uppies and you're you're basically you know touching the ball with different parts of your foot, you, you're going to use that in a game because yeah. then you know, when the ball comes to you again, you're going to be able to either use your left or your right foot or inside or outside or whatever it would be. Um, you know, when I was in when I was in Portugal this, this summer and I was down the beach, that's all kids were doing. They were just playing games. You know, either be it keeping the ball in the air, but that's all they were doing. They were just building the relationship with the ball. And from this is from the beaches to the parks to even going to, to, to watch games on 11 v 11 pitches, you know, before a lot of warm-ups were, were, were kids with the ball in the air and trying trying to control that ball with various parts of their, their body, you know. Well, Neil's sitting across from me and he can vouch that we never went down to the to, to the shop without having a football in our hands and dribbling and, you know, so, yeah, no, that, that's 100%. So I think really what the call out is for is for uh, more facilities for, for kids to be able to play on because we're, we're losing that space uh, hugely and very quickly as well. Um, listen, Antonio, I, I'd love to talk to you for the whole night, but uh, unfortunately I can't. Um, where can we, where can people reach you? What can they, where can they uh, look at your stuff? Yeah, so like I'm on Twitter and, and obviously Facebook, the Coach Diary, and then the website is thecoachdiary.com. Um, so yeah, that's, you, you can reach me through that. They can um, yeah. So so any any of those pages, either Twitter or Facebook. Actually, a thing came into me today, um, uh, which I just got there. I'll just try and see if I pick it up. But it's a coaching conference which is on this weekend, I think, in Leicester Celtic. Yeah, Leicester Celtic Football Club, and it's with Swansea Swansea uh, coaching conference. Uh, it's on this Sunday at uh, the 4th, uh, 10, 10, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. And it's with uh, Roy Thomas, who's the head of uh, academy coaching and coach educator for Swansea Football Club. So I know Swansea, I think, have affiliation with, with Leicester Celtic. This has nothing to do with me. I just got a, I just got a, a, a mail in there. Okay, so people keep an eye out and see if you can if you can make it down there. Listen, Antonio, thanks very much for your time, and I'm sure we'll be talking again. Okay, thanks, guys. Thanks. Cheers, thanks. You're listening to Liffy Side on 96.4 FM. And welcome back to the big kickoff on Liffey Sound 96.4 FM. Uh, if you want to contact us, it's 87 7138 uh, the big kickoff 96.4 gmail.com and of course we're on Facebook and Twitter Neil mm-hmm. Real Madrid yes on your your 
any knowledge you have on Real Madrid, uh, of course, Lopetegui got dismissed, which wasn't unforeseen. But Real Madrid losing someone like Ronaldo surely and looks like it has a similar effect to Manchester United losing Alex Ferguson. Just something that is very hard to replace. Yeah, they, they've lost their talisman. And with Madrid over the years, I mean, going back a long time now, the Galacticos was always something you associate with Madrid. We were just discussing beforehand that the last Galactico that Madrid signed was Gareth Bale. And that seems like a long, long time ago now, and that's because it is. Um, it's also because there isn't, I guess, the amount of talent out there that want to move or that can move. You've got your Chelsea's, your Cities who don't let go of their top players, whereas, you know, a couple of years ago, maybe you would have got uh, more of the talent in England was moving towards Spain. But definitely Madrid have stalled, and in the time they've stalled now, their team has aged and it's only maybe even last year, even Zidane bringing in a couple of new players that they've changed. They're, well, they're, they look like they're trying to change that back, you know. But definitely not by signing that type of Galactico anymore. Lapetegui probably had the hardest job in the world um, when you're trying to follow up three Champions Leagues in a row. Obviously, their league form slightly dipped with Zidane near the end, but he, he obviously, if you're going to win the Champions League, that's going to help you out. How... The, the squad itself if you look at the squad itself it's not it's not anything if you want to call it special as in Ronaldo was special because he was a machine goal, goal scorer Gareth Bale up front is their main man and he's in and out with injuries constantly mm-hmm. you have Isco who is quite a very very good player he's not a, a goal scorer and he is someone a bit like I suppose Juan Mata or you know who will create but there's not, there's not loads of goals. Benzema is is declining. Yeah. You know, so up front, they're not really anything special. Midfield, they probably have a Modric, who was trying to leave in the summer. Tony Cruz, who is has been around for probably a long time. So midfield is, yeah, it's, it's, an, it's, it's interestingly probably getting average, I suppose. If you want to talk about Modric, his game is probably there, but maybe his head isn't there. And then you look at the back line and uh, Ramos is not the power that he was. And sometimes I'm wondering, again, because he made an unbelievable mistake in El Clasico at the weekend, uh, which he does on a a regular basis uh, throughout a season where he'll take a a chest of ball down to someone and, and they'll skip by him. But they've brought in... Players, I think Courtois. Did, I don't know if they needed a Courtois. Navas, much, yeah. Navas was decent. Um, they brought in a new right full, where they already have Carvajal in there, who was probably you know one of the best right fulls around. So I'm, I'm not sure that any manager could have come in and done a job uh, after Zidane winning yeah, three in a row. Again, I think you see if you look back at the Spanish league over the last few years, it's generally the most consistent team and your most consistent eleven. Now, if you look at Barcelona back when Pep was there, he virtually played that seven eleven. That, sorry, that same eleven year after year after year. There was got to the stage where there was rumours they were all on drugs at one stage because they never got injured and they always played. You look at Messi, you look at Ronaldo, that type of player. They play every minute of every game. It doesn't matter if it's top of the league or bottom of the league, and that type of player. I think Madrid are just running out of them at the moment. That's exactly it. Their, uh, Ronaldo played every minute because he was hungry. He wanted to be, break records. He wanted Golden Boot. He wanted Ballon d'Or. He wanted everything. Um, but where they find the next Ronaldo now, that's the question for them. And as I say, they're sniffing around someone like Eden Hazard and stuff like that, who I don't think would be the answer for that because he's never produced. 
he he has a season a wonder season a season off nearly on the on holidays and then again they're looking at him again but I don't think they can bring that like where do they get that type of player that consistent world class Luis, Luis Suarez is another guy like look at him like, I mean he's been going a long time now and even he looks like he's reached the top of the peak Yeah, played every minute of every game I think if you I don't think you can replace Ronaldo hmm. uh, with a Ronaldo because there isn't another Ronaldo but if you look at the, the players that you've talked about Hazard uh, even if you look at Courtois now two of them were with Chelsea and in a team that struggled in the second year, they didn't. I think Hazard said he wouldn't stick around if 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 Conte was still there. Mm. Courtois wasn't enjoying the football either. And now it looks like Conte is the favourite for the job, and, and looks like he's going to take it up. So yeah. if you look at Hazard, he's probably going, "Oh God, you know, I'm probably not going to get me moved to Madrid." And Courtois probably sick that he actually left to go to Madrid when they've left the team now that is actually playing decent football with Chelsea so again it's it's going to be interesting to see the dynamic I think Conte is someone who sort of he's uh, he, he'll put himself across and make sure listen it's not a dictatorship but you know he'll, he'll be forceful about what he wants and this is the way we want it whereas Zidane was very I suppose inspirational in a way to players because he was someone to look up to and he was just had to be around to, and they do what he'd say you know so it's still I don't know if there's going to be much of a change you felt Zidane was the type of guy that understood how good this group were and just let them kind of get on with it I know there was a sound clip of him at half time in the Champions League and yeah, he and kind I think, of sounded a little and that, I think that's what I'm saying I think he was the right player or manager for those egos yeah because they could go, oh, listen, he was brilliant. And all he has to do is say something to me. And, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll get that. You know, mm. and, and he's not ramming things down. You need to do this. Or if you don't work that hard, they're going along with it. Yeah. Where if you were with a, a team, I don't know, Hull City or something like that. Sorry, Hull fans. But Hull City or something like that. And you needed people to work harder. A, a Conte or something like that would, would get them to work harder. Because, mm. you know, they, they know they have to get into tip-top shape. But these stars... You know, probably need the, the, a different type of manager. But isn't that the whole problem? And isn't that the thing with man management? You look at Mourinho now at the moment, and man, he's answered some questions in the last few weeks regarding that. Can he handle this new wave of star, i.e., Paul Pogba? Can he handle his style? Can he handle the media side of it? Um, you know, he got a lot of backlash through the week. They lost the Juventus, and he's in the opposition dressing room after the game, hugging Quadrado or one of these guys and sending out, you know, Instagrams and whatnot. It must be a nightmare to deal with these guys. And again, like, what can Mourinho do? Come down hard on Pogba. You seen the probably the training ground bust up when mm. he come over and said something. And I mean, he cut through him with a look. Now Mourinho's mind, he's going. I'm going to put down a marker here. I'm going to make sure he knows exactly what I think of him. He there was kind of flirtations of a captaincy and then gone. And then you know he was in out of the side. That's about as much as Mourinho can do. And I would still imagine the people from above him are saying. Well, hold on. He's our most marketable asset. Don't get him on the other side yet. So it's a very, very difficult scenario to deal with. Zidane dealt with it more or less perfectly. Obviously, they won the Champions League, maybe not the league. Um, but the perfect guy to guide stars. Conte will go in there, and you've seen him in the last le- the last season at Chelsea. He literally fell out with everybody. Everyone, yeah. Because it was his way or no way. And he knew he was getting the sack. And he didn't give him. And I think Diego Costa didn't help either because he he didn't play because he didn't really work hard and or whatever because he had a he has a stinking attitude anyhow. Yeah. But and I think that spread throughout the team. So I do think that that's kind of happened. Um, 
I, I think I think Madrid are going to have a, a, a tough time of it now, and I think Perez, who got rid of Ronaldo really by not offering him a new contract, mm. uh, he he didn't sign him in the first place, but so maybe that's the reason why he signed Gareth Bale. He was always a bit, and yeah. Gareth Bale's his man. So, and I believe now they're looking at uh, six hundred million to build, renovate the Bernabeu and not increase the, the capacity at all wow. just to renovate it because I think Atletico Madrid have built a new stadium and they're looking like they're they're being second best here so it's it's going to be an interesting time it so if there's 600 million going into renovating uh, is there going to be money going into the team? Well Madrid have always been a team to spend regardless of their income Never had to do their and stadium again, up there did they? They didn't but they used to remember like there was Kings and Queens bailing them out and they, they yeah, were but that's gone. So I don't think they can do that That is now. all gone now yeah. but I mean they've never had to look at people that have successfully or teams that have successfully transformed their whole stadium and their club like Arsenal the prime example where they paid for it over a 10 year period they stayed in the top four they were frugal but look where they are now, you know yeah. what I mean? They can afford to go out and all of a sudden... Yeah. They, yeah. We said it for, what, 10 years they've never bought a world-class player or at least a player over 50 million. They go out and they buy Aubameyang and Lacazette within a couple of months of each other. Yeah. So they've paid their dues. Yeah. Madrid have never had to look after the books. Um, and they could, you know, they, they might find it very, very difficult to get back to where they want to be. And the type of player they need is an Mbappe or a Neymar. Well, yeah. more like, I'd be going from Mbappe if I could myself. But you're looking at 200 million maybe to, and are they able for that now that's, it's going to be a big it. question now anyhow. Well, the other thing is, is can Madrid if they signed an Mbappe that's not the only piece of the puzzle that they want no. and when people used to sign for Madrid or sign for Barcelona it's on the basis that they're going to win the big big prizes mm. and if Madrid just slightly dip off and drop down to third choice team no, you know it's a big difference with people wanting to sign for them as yeah. well ok we watch this space we're going to quickly take an ad and we'll be back tune to Lippy Sound 96.4 FM Breaking news about um, Real Madrid sacking um, their guy tonight. I'm hearing news from uh, online from our uh, Madrid friends abroad that uh, their number one choice and they're going to go after is Maurizio Pochettino and nobody else, and they will spend a hundred million to get him. And that is coming out of Spain tonight. What do you mean they'll spend a hundred million to get him? What do you mean? Well, the Real Madrid fans online. Oh, we're saying they want Simon, where's a hundred million come from? I've just, I've just got that out. You made, yeah, but you made that. You've got that out your yeah. head. So you've got so a rumor it. online, and you've just added to yeah. it yeah. by saying hundred million. So make it a bit more realistic. Yeah. Right, Come listen. On. If you're Daniel Levy, I'll be Real Madrid president. Yeah. Hello, I tell you what, let's uh, do it now. You right. be Daniel Levy. I'll be the Real Madrid president. Okay. Oh, okay. All right, Daniel. Yeah. How you doing? I want Mopo. Yeah, how much? 10 million. No deal. 20 million. Again, no deal. 40 million, take it or leave it. No deal. 100 million. <laughs> Sub. <laughs> you're right, you're right, it was 100 million. So it's not 100 million. Breaking news. Nah, that's good. No, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that was on Talk I just thought that was funny that uh, someone. That's, that's where rumours start. You know, yeah, 100 you million. 100 million. Um, and it's just on the back of the Real Madrid thing. Obviously, I, I don't think he's in line. I think Conte is nearly a shoe in for it. But Pochettino and Spurs, it, it, they're in a tricky situation as well. They're gone. I think they're gone something like six hundred million or five hundred million or four, no four hundred million. Something doesn't make a difference. There's a lot of hundred mm. millions anyhow over budget because they were trying to cut corners. I believe on the stadium. At what I believe is is they got in 
uh, to try and save money, they got in different contractors, not one contractor to do it, different contractors. And uh, in different parts of the stadium, they're digging up work that other people have done to lay their wiring and wow. stuff like that. So it's they've gone over uh, by a few hundred million or whatever. So Pochettino this year, he wasn't too happy about not getting players in. Uh, if, if this is the case that they're over by that amount of money, this could be a, a tricky situation for Spurs as well. There's no doubt. They've, they've, look, they don't have this strength and depth compared to any of the other top four that are even there. Uh, even Arsenal, I mean, who weren't where top four last year, look to have a stronger squad. Um, they, they look and feel like a side that's running on empty at times when you watch them play, especially at Wembley. They just don't seem to have the energy that they had in particular last year. Um, now, even though they didn't have the best of starts last year, they come on strong. Um, but you look at all the games they've played and the goals they've given up last 10, last 15 minutes, they don't seem to be able to basically maintain it for 90 where I remember watching them last year versus Liverpool at times and they outworked Liverpool in some games and in the last 20 they finished far stronger. Um, they needed to add, they needed to add some strength and depth, they didn't. Um, and yeah, the time might catch up with them. And Pochettino, like the only thing going for Pochettino not moving is Daniel Levy. And mm-hmm. that's because it, like that thing, that debacle over the club or the stadium not being finished is the most un-Daniel Levy, un thing you'll ever hear. Yeah. Um, he's so, so shrewd when it comes to stuff like that. Um, and it's obviously why Harry Kane has never moved away because nobody, nobody wants to deal with Daniel Levy. Mm. So, so where do they go? <laughs> they're, well, they're going to have to do something, be it promote you to be at some point. It doesn't look like they've got a checkbook and January and is not the time to it, fix it. It's interesting to see if Pochettino can has the patience for to hang around until money is available to be able mm-hmm. to purchase players or uh, now in fairness to them they've they've always sort of balanced their books fairly well under Levy so maybe they're going to have to sell players to buy players but I mean there's not too much more you can do with that sports team bar maybe one or two players to make them a real challenging team yep. so you, you would think at this stage you'd need that extra few quid just to buy that talented star that fits in there and gels it together and makes they're like it the Arsenal of old remember yeah. when Arsenal were always they were there thereabouts and people kept saying Wenger Wenger used to come out and go oh, I could buy a £40 million player tomorrow there's no way he could have he was just hamstrung and that was it so they're well they're not even playing the same fiddle they're just saying it's not there and that's it but Arsenal were never that far away from maintaining a decent challenge one or two players it was always one or two players but Spurs are definitely thereabouts and on their day they're a serious side yeah. um, but as I said I think that goes stale you know you go season after season after season with the same group of players and nothing changes you know it almost becomes the norm then when you begin to slip back and fall back in the race and I don't think they can maintain they, they can't keep up with uh, City and Liverpool and it's, it's probably too much to ask of them I'll give you 30 seconds seems you're in 30 seconds on Liverpool and what might be at the end of the season uh, biggest problem is just the fact that City have a bigger squad as big names they play beautiful football and their midfield are super creative compared to ours so we rely on the front three forward line they rely on the midfield you know you're De Bruyne is Bernardo Silva is a gem of a player now he's beginning to emerge uh, and De Bruyne and we just don't have that type of player and I think they, that's the only difference can they get over the line compared to what City the embarrassment of riches that they have across the middle I hope they run them close and I think they will I think Klopp really has the bit between his teeth but uh, it's just a question can other teams take points off them and I don't think 
they can take enough. Yeah, 35 seconds, unlucky. I'll take that. Um, <laughs> and uh, FAI Cup final is Cork City versus Dundalk. There's been a few words said this week. Uh, Caulfield, more, John Caulfield more or less saying that Dundalk have bought the league and, and are, are buying the cup. Um, and uh, of course Dundalk struck back with a few quotes themselves what do you make of it and what do you think the outcome there um, I like the fact that they're at least having a bit of banter before they get the cup yeah, final started yeah. and I think they kind of do that every year don't they there's mm. someone I think the keeper or something last year started a big ruckus um, it's no harm I hope it's a, it, it's, it's a big game and I hope it's well attended I'm actually going to go in myself this weekend because the ladies game is on before it as well um, I just Dundalk are uh, they're living off the fact that they've been the top dog for the last few years they've got better money they've got better revenue so yeah it's kind of like the City or the Chelsea where everyone said they've bought everything it's just because they're more successful they've been able to bring more revenue from being more successful mm. and I don't really see them being able to touch them anyone for a while while they keep in the vein that they're in and Cork haven't been in the greatest of form no. and now next year I believe their budget's been cut by 300 grand so and there you go they, they might be they might have sailed that, uh, that ship and it might be a bit of a slump and hopefully uh, it's not too damaging to them okay well that's it Neil Totally sorry that the interview went so long, but I'm not. I'm not. I'm glad it was a. It was a good interview anyhow with uh, Antonio. Uh, we'll have you back in soon again, and uh, to everyone listening, we'll be back here next week. See you then.